your hour of thrive time begins now with your host jay mamie on the jay mamie talk show good day everyone and welcome once again to the jay mamie talk show this is jay mamie and you have now entered your hour of thrive time i am so looking forward to today's show and for good reason too and if you're visiting our show for the first time you're going to find that you've landed at the right place at the right time for the right reasons to get the right content to help you thrive. So welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening to this program, and if you are a recurring listener, I want to thank you once again for supporting this show. But the reason why today I'm so jacked up about our show, because there is so much good value that a business owner, a CEO, a company needs to understand in order to continue to thrive from a number of different areas. And today we're going to tackle three. My first guest is going to be James D. White. James D. White not only is a board chair himself, serves on a number of boards, he's a director, he's also a CEO, he's a first-time author, we're going to have a conversation with him about that today, he's a national speaker, he has the claim to fame of being the CEO of one of the most recognizable brands on the market, Jamba Juice, he served honorably that company for quite a while, and he's going to be our featured guest today on the show, but on the heels of that, we're going to hear from Jack Carney, who is one of the partners, also a managing director for Dumas Capital Partners. He's going to talk about how do you create value if you are thinking about selling your business. Many people these days are thinking about selling their business, but the key is how do you do it in a way that gives you the most potential to have the most amount of money paid for that business, and he's going to talk to us about what makes a business valuable. And on the heels of that, we're going to wrap up our show with two dynamic guys that are really helping those startup individuals and those existing businesses find the funding that's needed for their projects or for whatever it is that they are looking to fund and finance as part of their business dreams. We're going to hear from JRFF Financial and Justin Fry was going to be on the show with us today to share the story of JRF Financial. So, folks, we're jam-packed today. I want to encourage you, if you've not had a chance to check out my show site, thejmamietalkshow.com, you want to hop on over to that. Look at all of the content that we've delivered so far since we've aired the show, coming up on two years now. And you can also hear all of our prior episodes at the archive section. You won't have a hard time finding the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Not only do we broadcast in multiple cities and multiple states, but you could also find our show as a podcast on all of the major podcasting streams that are available to you. But I want you to also go to my my regular site, the Jay Mamie vjmamie.com. There you're going to find all of my other content, my books, my blogs, all of my other material that's there and designed to help you thrive, including my newly released Thrive Sales Mastery course, which is already getting the attention of so many around the world. So we've got value to contribute to you. We've got value to contribute to your life to help you thrive. It's what we're about here at the J. Mamie Talk Show. It's what I'm about. It's what I've always been about my whole life. And today is going to be yet another example of that as we kick off the show right after the break. Are your sales lagging? Are you frustrated with your ability to effectively communicate the goodness of your product or service? Could your income greatly benefit from you getting better at selling? Hi, this is Jay Mamie, the host of the Jay Mamie Talk Show and the curator of the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. I want you to know that there are answers on how you can get better at the skill of selling. Go to my course, the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. Get the answers you need so you can experience the results you want. Thrive Sales Mastery. Have you gotten behind on your personal or payroll taxes due to COVID-19? I'm Adam Cohen, Tax Resolution Manager at Jack Lauderman CPA. The collection arm of the IRS has resumed enforcement action. You may have received demand letters threatening liens or levies. Our firm specializes in resolving complex tax problems. There are options available. Go to txcpaoffice.com and schedule a free, no-obligation consultation. That's txcpaoffice.com. Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the line right now, we've got James D. White. I mentioned earlier, James is not only a board chair, he's a director, CEO, 
brand new author of the anti-racist leadership book. He's a speaker, former CEO of Jamba Juice, one of the most recognized individuals in the world of leadership. James D. White, welcome to the show. Jay, thanks for having me on. Hey, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. We've got a lot to unwrap here. So I wanted to dive right into it. There, there's a number of people that know your story, but my show is heard not only nationally, it's also heard internationally. So there are others that do not know your story. So I'd love for you, James, to share a little bit about your earlier story, though, and sort of get our listeners up to speed. So, Jay, my, my story starts in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a, a St. Louis native, uh, was the, the first member of my family to graduate from college. I'm a University of Missouri alum, and those are all kind of foundational facts to my story. Uh, my first job out of college was with the Coca-Cola company, so my story uh, starts and kind of closes at least operationally uh, in the beverage uh, business. So again, started my career at the Coca-Cola company, working in the Minute Maid division. Uh, had the great fortune of working with really fantastic brands and leaders across my career. And I, I worked with the Gillette company across my career. I worked for Nestle uh, across uh, my career as a, a leader, uh, Safeway stores, and then finished up as uh, chair and CEO uh, at Jamba. That's quite a historic career. And, and, and James, I've had a chance to, to really um, recon your work, and I know that you've been a part of a number of corporations. And the ability for you to maneuver from one corporation, from one industry to another, is, is really spectacular, and it's, and it's admirable. So you certainly have learned the success to, to maneuver from different sectors. But having the ability to sexually maneuver different sectors in your life, and your career, what do you attribute that success to? I think the main thing that I would say is being a, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a lifelong learner, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so for me and you, you kind of referenced uh, my movement across sectors. I spent the first 20 years of my career in the consumer goods industry. I spent the next decade between the supermarket industry uh, and the restaurant uh, space. And those are all different. Uh, they're analogous, but they're different businesses, you know, with different drivers uh, maybe even uh, in some cases, the companies are led, the, the industries are led with, uh, you know, kind of different uh, fundamentals. Now, one of the things that I know that people struggle with, and I've heard you speak about this, is uh, sort of the idea of staying in your lane that you are told when you are at a high level uh, of executive achievement, it's very difficult or, or it's risky rather to switch sectors if you have sort of developed a solid footing in one sector it's a risky move to go to a different one but you did that successfully what would you say to another ceo or another high level executive that might be where you're at right now maybe they are frustrated they're looking for a new challenge they're working with a career coach they're working with executive recruiters and they're being told stay in your lane but that's not where they want to be what would you say to them as a word of encouragement and advice? I think there's two things. I think uh, if you're a great people leader um, and really value people, and that's where I've really built my career, that's mm -hmm. transferable to any sector, any industry. Uh, you mm. know, so that would be the first. And then really, as you would think about a pivot like the one that I made from the consumer products industry to retail, just really understand the differences, kind of the nuanced differences uh, in the businesses. Anything related to retail is going to be very detail-oriented, um, and it's just going to be a different kind of uh, grind to really run uh, the company and maybe even more people intensive. So somebody coming out of a consumer goods industry, moving to retail or restaurants, uh, and, you know, one of the things that people in retail and restaurants talk about is the frontline workforce is the bottom line. Uh, so a, a premium placed on uh, being able to lead uh, an, an organization uh, ends up being uh, critically important. But I, I never stray too far from being an active uh, learner. So you really have to be a student of the, the industries or companies as you transition. You know, one of the things I always preach and teach people is that Perfect preparation is how you achieve 
performance, right? And and you just touched on it. I think that it is very difficult to transition to anything new, whether it's lateral uh, movement, unless you do your homework and really understand what it will take to make that transition. Because the further prepared you are, as you've said, the greater the probability of success. And I think that the dire mistake that a lot of executives make is that they they're it's an emotional based decision, not a logical decision, because they're frustrated, they're 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 bored, and they make this change without really understanding and researching where they're going to. They end up failing, and they revert back to where they came from, worse off than when they first started. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. And Jay, one other point that I'd make, kind of a lesson um, that that I've learned kind of over time. If you spend uh, three to five years uh, kind of studying a topic, you can actually make yourself an expert. And I think that's a part of your perfect preparation uh, point. I'm a firm believer of that when I've made these big transitions. Uh, if I can take myself to school for a period of time after I've made the transition, uh, you can find ways to really rise to the top and, and really kind of hone your, your craft in new businesses. Well, I appreciate that answer. You and I are, are like-minded thinkers, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're, you're on the show. I, I appreciate the way that you process and, and you encourage others. But you had a great career at Jamba Juice. And i got to tell you something. When I started to share with folks that we have James White, former CEO of Jamba Juice, it just seems that their faces lit up because everyone knows of Jamba Juice. You can't go to any mall without seeing it somewhere. And uh, so they were really excited to hear the story behind the Jamba Juice success and, and sort of the, the development of, of that organization and how you played a part in it. So could you briefly share your Jamba Juice journey? Well, my Jamba Juice journey started in uh, the, the fall, uh, December 2008. I took over as CEO, and this would have been uh, at really a low point uh, for a really storied company and brand the, the the company had gone uh had been gone public a couple years prior uh but we were heading into the great recession and the company was quite uh challenged had lost a significant amount of money uh the the prior year in 2008 and um i was tapped to lead the organization and had to lead us through uh this this transformation uh, of the company and fortunately was able to do that successfully by focusing on uh, the people and the culture and uh, really refreshing uh, the, the, the overall strategy inclusive of, you know, making the menu healthier. Uh, we expanded into new markets internationally over the time frame that I was there and uh, just really feel passionate about my time uh, at job. I could never go on an airplane and mention where I work and not have people's faces light up because it's <laughs> such a, it's just a beloved uh, brand because, you know, if you're a, you know, I, I had, I, I'd have parents to say my first job, my child's first job was at Jamba and the training was just spectacular uh, and, you know, kind of catapulted them into their college and professional careers. There were people that, uh, you know, had parents or loved ones that were, uh, sick and they, you know, Jamba was the only thing they could consume. Or if you had kids that were athletes, uh, kind of in between your soccer matches or baseball games or basketball games, uh, the kids would grab Jamba in between multiple games in a day. So it's just a, a really beautiful uh, brand, and I had a fantastic time. It's one of those brands uh, that I think any CEO would, would love to to be the helm of because it is a brand that I think leaves a great footprint in the lives of, of, of many and certainly communities and cultures. Um, and, and who, right, who hasn't heard of Jamba Juice, who hasn't tried it? it? It's great. So it's a real privilege to have been a CEO there. But speaking of good companies, you, you've been in many of them for a long period of time. I've heard you once speak about a good company also has to be a good citizen. What does that mean? What, what makes a good company also a good citizen, and why is that important? 
I think the the best companies uh, really take care of all their stakeholders, you know, kind of starting with their uh, own associates or employees, uh, but they're also uh, great uh, corporate citizens and they make an investment uh, in the communities in which they do business. Uh, at Jamba, we were very focused on, uh, you know, creating healthy uh, lifestyles for young people. So we made investments in schools. Uh, we were very conscious about the planet. So we mm. uh, had had initiatives to, you know, plant trees around the country and to teach uh, young people about uh, sustainability and the and the planet, but I I think it's just really imperative uh, for companies to think about the communities they serve and to make investments in those communities, and that certainly has always been a focus uh, for me as a leader. And you know, that's that's a good a good point. Making investments in the local community, I think that is the strength uh, of being a good citizen. That's probably the the pinnacle of being a good citizen as a company within that community. That's a great point. Earlier on the show, you spoke about leadership, and I want to piggyback to that because as, as someone who has been in a high level of leadership, you've also trained up other leaders. So what leadership traits, I'm going to ask you two questions. What leadership traits, in your opinion, must a CEO possess in order to not only handle conflict, but also to reveal courage. Great question, uh, Jay. And I'd make uh, a, a few points. I think one of the uh, skills that is lacking in many, many leaders, including uh, CEOs today, is the, um, the 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 capability for empathy, uh, which I think will be even more critical as we. Uh, move forward, and that's the ability to put yourself in someone else's mm-hmm. shoes in a respectful fashion. And I think, importantly, uh, not to stop at empathy, you translate that to compassion, and then you find a way to bring that to some action point in a way uh, that creates a great culture, great environment. So uh, I'm always focused on culture and people and and leadership as being uh, critical uh, capabilities that I believe people need to have. And, and then the, the final point I'd make related to your question around leadership question, uh, courage, is sometimes leaders need to be able to stand alone. Um, mm-hmm. you, you're going to have tough situations that only the CEO or the leader can make, and after you've taken in all the input, you might have to make the uh, the tough call, uh, whatever that might be. Could be strategy wise, could be a personnel related uh, question. But uh, empathy, if I was going to emphasize one point, I think is uh, critically important uh, uh, for leadership as we think about the multiple generations that are in the workforce uh, today and. And, and empathy, I believe, is, is learned, and it is one of those things that we have to be an active learner around uh, as we've got multiple generations that we're now leading and finding working together in this uh, a new work workplace moving forward. And speaking about this new workplace moving forward, I want to tap into diversity and inclusion. But before we finish off this, this courage aspect, you know, as, as you were sharing that, all I kept thinking about was, based on your point that sometimes leaders have to stand alone. It's sort of like having to, to you're in the trenches and all of your mates and all of your colleagues abandon ship, but you've got to be the one to stand in the trenches and continue to fight or stand up for what you believe in. Even if you've uh, been abandoned by everyone else, that's and courage. You've got, yeah. You've got to be calm. You've got to be thoughtful. You've got to be considerate of all the viewpoints, but, uh, at some pl- at some point, the leader uh, she might need to make the the tough call. That's exactly right. So, was there a point in your career? Because we're going to start chatting about your book. But before we do that, was there a point in your career that you felt that the topics of today, uh, diversity and inclusion, were in short supply? 
I'd, I'd say, Jay, that uh, diversity and inclusion, you know, as a black executive, and that's kind of the perspective that I come at the topic from, mm-hmm. uh, has mm-hmm. always been in short supply. Uh, there have been moments in time where there's been a push to add greater uh, diversity, uh, you know, kind of in, in corporate America, but there's always been, uh, you know, kind of, you know, missing uh, faces in the boardroom, in the C-suite. But I've always been hopeful uh, because I've seen progress happen over the 30, 40 years that uh, uh, I've been a a leader, you know, both of companies and in the boardroom. But what I would say is that uh, 2020, the combination of the pandemic uh, and the racial reckoning uh, created a moment in time where it's never been more important uh, that we all – uh, spend time thinking about diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion, and I think the conversation has dramatically changed. Well, I think it's the conversation whose time has come, right? It, the the time has come for that. That's why your book is so on point and timely. I know your book launches now in March, uh, becomes available. Your book, Anti-Racist Leadership, you co-wrote the book with your daughter, Krista. But what inspired you and your daughter to write the book in the first place? Really, Jay, a couple, a couple things. Uh, my daughter had been doing some work with me. I, I had a, uh, a CEO friend of, of mine. I sat on uh, his board, and he asked me to do some work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'd always made a uh, – had always been a champion of diversity. It's a passion of mine. So I, I, I was working with a company or two and uh, happened to ask my daughter, who's a brilliant writer and researcher, uh, to do a little bit of work with, uh, with with dad, and we found kind of a mutual passion, and we, uh, you know, over time figured out that we we probably had something to say that would pull from dad's, you know, 30 years as an operating executive passionate about this work, and uh, my daughter's next generation view of what, you know, needed to be uh, to attract Gen Zs and millennials. Um, mm-hmm. Two companies, so the interplay between the two of us uh, just created magic uh, as we came together on the project. And for me, is the most fulfilling thing I've done professionally is being able to work with Krista on this project. You know, there's nothing like being able to work with your family on something that you know changes lives of of others and the culture of environment. So I think it was it was brilliant. And I, as, a, as a dad myself, um, you're right. There's nothing more fulfilling than having your own child work on something with you to collaborate that, uh, that brings value to the world. In this book, though, you, you position it as a, a practical guidebook for business leaders looking to create a great culture that includes everyone. What would you say are two of those guidelines that you provide in the book? I think there's two things that are really important. One is the CEO uh, must lead and engage the work. So that would be uh, the first. And then the second one is the, uh, the the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion should be integrated fully into the company's strategy, into the company's values. And then I back up and really make the, the, the final larger point uh, is diversity, equity, and inclusion is really all about culture. And if you're a leader of a company or a CEO, you can't delegate culture. And that gets back to the first point where the uh, the CEO must be involved. Um, and I think the lessons that we try to share over time is it's a journey. Uh, none of us have all the answers. And we try to share enough of my personal examples. And we interviewed uh, probably two dozen executives. So we give Big company examples, we give smaller company examples, we give individual leader uh, examples on how to think about the work. So we think there is, uh, you know, practical examples for everybody that wants to explore this work. Well, I love the fact that you wrote it. As I said before, I think it's a book whose time has come. In my last minute here, James, a book is written with an audience in mind. Who would you specifically say would benefit the most from reading your book? What we hope the uh, uh, 
the, the audience will be for the book is uh, any leader um, that, that wants to try to build a better company, better culture, we hope the book will be used as a catalyst with uh, management teams and across companies to further the conversation. Uh, and we just, we're, we're excited to be uh, a, a part of uh, hopefully being a catalyst for uh, positive change around uh, a really important topic. Well, James D. White, we appreciate you being on the J. Mamie Talk Show. You brought so much value to our audience. I know that we're going to hear from you again and again. I encourage everyone to go out and pick up a copy of the Anti-Racist Leadership book. Uh, it will be available coming up in March. We're also going to have your book link uh, up on our site as well, so people can track down the book through our website, uh, thejmamietalkshow.com as well. James D. White, I appreciate being on the show, brother. Thank you, Jay. Uh, I'd love to come back anytime. Absolutely will. You can count on it. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. 71% of new hires say that the training they received did not make their new role easy to understand, and that led them to feeling disconnected at work. Well, that's probably because, according to the Talent Equation, companies spend more money on coffee than training annually. I'm Andy Steery, owner of Impact Training. We specialize in helping your company create meaningful training content based on the nine impact pillars of training. Reach out at impactctc.com and let's find what your company needs to elevate your training program to the next level. I can't make any promises about your coffee, though. Are you having a hard time finding commercial funding? Is this challenge stalling your business goals and dreams? At JRF Financial, we specialize in getting your commercial funding and challenges resolved because we work with the largest SBA lender in the country. We work with over 33 different types of alternative lending and can fund anything from equipment to real estate. So don't let funding challenges stop you. Call JRF Financial at 844-484-6248 or visit us at jrffinancial.org. Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. We're about to have a fantastic, insightful conversation with not only the co-founder and the managing director of Dumas Capital Partners, but one of the most knowledgeable guys when it comes to the area of understanding the value of your business. And folks, this is, today's episode is all about, hey, how do we elevate our businesses? How do we take it to the next level, whether from a leadership standpoint, a financial standpoint, or in this case, a value standpoint? He's one of our national sponsors, Dumas Capital Partners is, and the co-founder and the managing director, Jack Carney, is with us today. Jack, welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Jay, thanks so much, and congratulations on taking your show national. It's exciting to be with you. Yes, yes, it is, my friend, and I appreciate you being here for the ride. Now, let's dive into all the good things that you're going to share with our listeners, but I want you to start by giving us a little bit about your your story, your journey, so that people can get a chance to know you, and then, of course, the Duma story as well. That'd be fun, Jay. Well, like you, I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, but unlike you, I actually grew up right outside of New York City on Long Island. I'm the uh, youngest of seven kids, and my dad was a New York City police officer. All right. So while a lot of fathers may talk about their business, my father and I, we talked about sports and criminals. <laughs> Good topics around the dinner table. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, and sometimes, it, sometimes it's one and the same person. <laughs> <laughs> How true. How true. Went to college in upstate New York at the State University of New York at Oneonta. Met my bride up there. She and I have been married for 43 years. In 1977, we moved south to North Carolina, where I attended law school and business school at Duke University. Uh, and then I joined the investment banking business back in 1986 with a subsidiary of Shearson Lehman Brothers. I co-founded DeMott Capital Partners in 2003 with two other gentlemen with whom I had worked for a number of years, and we actually named it after Alexandre Dumas, the author of The Three Musketeers, the man behind the Iron Mask, and the Count of Monte Cristo. Wow. Uh, but uh, as you know, there's a, a Dumas, Texas, and a Dumas, Arkansas, so most everybody refers to us as Dumas Capital rather than Dumas Capital. Well, I tell you what, that's a wonderful story. I never would have known uh, that this would have been the the origination of, of even the name Dumas, and I appreciate you sharing that. It's very, very clever, and you've been doing this for quite a while, so obviously seasoned individuals in this field, uh, that's why you're on the show. But we're finding right now that there is a surge in mergers and acquisition activity. 
Uh, I'd like to ask you, why is that happening? What are the factors that have created such a surge? Sure. Many of our clients, and, and you're correct about there having been a surge or being a surge in mergers and acquisitions activities, many of our clients have been in their business for 20, 30, 40 years, and they experienced the opportunity to sell their business at fairly high multiples in 2007 and 2008. And then, of course, in 2009 and 2010, we experienced the Great Recession. So in many cases, what they're seeing now and we're seeing in the marketplace is once again high multiples on the sale of businesses, and they don't want to miss the opportunity again. The second factor is beginning a little bit more than a year ago, there was significant concern about the raise of capital gains tax rates. And so if you move from a 23% tax rate to nearly a 40% tax rate on the proceeds from the sale of your business, that's a major difference in the net after-tax proceeds to a business owner. Mm-hmm. So that, combined with market risk, has really motivated a lot of activity in the mergers and acquisitions market. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, at least not with the um, the environment that we're in right now. So. You, you, uh, you're you going to do very, very well, uh, again, which is the reason why you're on the show, to provide that content to our listening audience. But we have a lot of business owners that listen to this program, and I'm sure that there's a struggle that they have wondering, should I sell? When is a good time to sell? What would you say to an owner who is considering selling? When should a business owner consider selling? Sure. Well, we begin all of our relationships with business owners by conducting evaluation. We do what we would call an uncertified or a professional business owner's evaluation. And what we like to do is start and advise the business owner, this is what we think your business is worth right now. Um, You have a silent partner named Uncle Sam, so you need to go to your tax advisor and figure out what you're going to keep. And then you go to your financial advisor and figure out what kind of retirement that net after tax proceeds can provide you. Is it going to be filet mignon and lobsters, or is it going to be beans and rice? Mm-hmm. And so depending on the conclusion, we work with a lot of companies to get them ready to sell their business. What we refer to as our value builder business process improvement activities or advisory services to get them thinking like a business owner who's being bought out as opposed to just a business owner who's running his or her business on a day-to-day basis. Now, you mentioned drivers. I, I want to pick up on that because you often speak about the eight drivers of company value. C- can you share with us what the eight drivers of company value are, what they are, those drivers, um, but to, to an extent that it, it, it gives our listeners something to walk away with that's, that's memorable but not too overwhelming? Sure. I'd be happy to. We work with a company out of Canada called – Value Builder System, and their research, which is now up to interviewing more than 50,000 business owners, is a system that calls for improving the eight drivers of company value. So financial performance is one of those, Mm -hmm. growth potential, your independence from your employees, customers, and suppliers, your cash flow. What percentage of your revenue is recurring on an annual basis? How effectively are you differentiating yourselves in the market? What's your level of customer satisfaction and how do you measure it and improve it? And last and very importantly for for small businesses is what we refer to hub and spoke. How dependent is your company on you? And if something happens to you, is there still a viable business? So those are really the eight drivers that we work on and an online system called the Value Builder System. And we work systematically with business owners on each of those areas, trying to help them get ready for a liquidity event. And that liquidity event could be the sale of all or the company to a uh, strategic buyer. It could be the sale of a controlling interest to a private equity firm. It could be the sale of a minority investment to a family office or a minority of of the private equity firms that are still prepared to do minority investments. But in any case, we'd like the owner to begin thinking about his or her business as though they're a buyer and not really just Mm -hmm. the operator of the business. And that's a a really unique mindset for a lot of business owners to adopt. I I like that, Jack, that every business owner should think about, uh, should have the mindset of a buyer 
And quite frankly, if they wouldn't buy their own business uh, in its current state, then no one, certainly no one else will either, right? It's That's a correct. great perspective to take. But I, I want to take these eight drivers, and I, I'd like to ask you, what would you say as a business owner would be the three main drivers that if they're thinking about selling or beginning the process of selling, that these are the three main drivers that they need to evaluate? Um, and just give me one reason why each of those would be the most important of the eight. All, all important, but these three specifically. Sure. Let me start with financial performance. It's not surprising to anyone that the value of their business will be a function of their financial performance. But when we're working with a business owner, we are not just looking at the historical performance of the company. We're thinking about the future of the business. We're also thinking about the infrastructure they have in place to account for the business, to budget and project the future of the business. Uh, and to supply information to external users. One of the things we say in summary with respect to financial performance is that if you were to value the business based upon its professionalism, the professionalism and competence of your finance and accounting department should be equal to the professionalism of the rest of your business. So if you're an expert electrician, you really need an expert running your accounting and finance department as well. And so when a buyer comes in and looks, they're looking at your capability and your, certainly your financial performance, but really your capability to grow the business. And one of the drivers of that really is the capabilities of you financially to project and manage the business as it grows. A second one we, all, we referenced a little bit was what we call hub and spoke. Mm -hmm. How dependent is the business on you? We sometimes laughingly ask, suppose you were going to go away for six weeks to a trip that you and your, your, your spouse have been planning for years, how would your business operate without you? Well, we actually had one business owner say, well, at least the parking lot would be there. A business that is solely dependent on its owner and founder is a much less valuable business mm -hmm. than one that can operate without the owner. And so the hub and spoke particularly for companies with less than 10 million of revenue and very much with five, less than 5 million of revenue, freeing themselves up from dependence upon the owner is a critical driver of the business. The third I would look at is recurring revenue. Recurring revenue is revenue that basically on January 1st of every year, you know where a certain percentage of your revenue is coming from. It's different than reoccurring revenue, which is sales from existing customers, uh, and it's very different from revenue that doesn't occur on a, on, a, on a repeated basis. But when you're valuing businesses, businesses that have high levels of recurring revenue, where they're, they're contracted revenue, and you know when that, that revenue is coming in, are valued at a much higher multiple than businesses without recurring revenue. They also, quite frankly, are easier businesses to run. When you can plan when you have to do things, when you can plan, can plan your labor, your supplies, and the commitment of your resources, it's a lot easier business to run, mm -hmm. but it's also a lot more predictable. So those would be the three that I would mention, financial performance, hub and spoke, and recurring revenue. Wonderful advice. Wonderful advice. In our last 30 seconds here, Jack, what makes Dumas different, though, from other similar companies that do similar work? Sure. I think there are two things. One is that our partners have experience at one or more of the major Wall Street firms. So we really have a lot of capital markets experience uh, at our firm. The second thing is that every one of us have actually owned, operated, and successfully sold a business. So we have been in the shoes of the entrepreneur, uh, and so we understand what he or she's going through, and we also understand exactly how one can go from a struggling business to a successful business, from a successful business to a valuable business, so that the owner can enjoy and realize that value. Well, Jack Dumas, uh, rather Jack from Dumas, Jack Carney, the 
managing director and co-founder of Dumas Capital Partners. We appreciate you being on the show. We've got you pegged to come back next month and the month after to continue to share more wisdom and insight for our business owning, uh, our business owners listening community. So I appreciate you being on the show. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. Selling your home later this year? You don't have to be in hiding while you wait to sell your home. Test the waters and get connected with future buyers by posting your future sale on Selling Later Now. The only independent consumer resource, Selling Later lets you connect with future buyers regardless of how you're selling or if you even know yet how you want to sell. Create your free account to get connected and learn how to prepare to sell at sellinglater.com. So you've built a successful business? Now what? Transform your successful business into a valuable business. That's where Dumont Capital Partners comes in. We've built a step-by-step process designed to drive up your business's value and give you back control over your time. Whether you want to sell for a premium or just know that you could, Dumont Capital Partners will give you the life and business you deserve. Contact us at ValueBuilderUS.com. That's ValueBuilderUS.com. Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the line right now, we've got two dynamic individuals. Both of them are doing incredible work in helping businesses find the financing they need. They are one of our national sponsors, JRF Financial, and they're two top guys are on the line with us right now, Justin Fry and Eric Gooden are joining me on the line today. And before we dive into it, guys, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, sir. It's uh, it's my pleasure. The value that you are bringing to the marketplace uh, is undeniable. I want to dive into all the goodness that you are doing with uh, with your firm. But before we do that, I'd like for the both of you to share a little bit about yourselves and the original story behind JRF Financial. Yes, sir. So I've been a licensed financial professional going on eight years now and uh, needed to be able to help my clients that were asking about funding. So I took a leap of faith and went to a school to be trained to become a broker and graduated. And since then, it's been a, a godsend. We, uh, I'm also a licensed minister, minister of finance at uh, my church. So we uh, work off of biblical principles. And Eric, I'll let him share his story. I'm Eric Gooden, CFO of JRF Financial. Been in the financial business since 25 years. I met Justin, believed in his vision, came aboard, and we are just trying to help everyone uh, out there who doesn't understand the financial arena to uh, make better business decisions. All right. Well, two stellar guys doing fantastic work. And by the way, we first heard from Justin, and now we've heard from his right-hand man, uh, uh, Eric. Uh, but I want to ask you guys, where are you finding that there is the most activity for funding right now there are lots of industries are looking for funding but where are the in which are the industries that are most active that you're finding are in need yeah right now we've uh, had the most action between commercial real estate dealings anything from single family residences all the way up to apartment complexes and equipment funding and when we say equipment funding we're talking about big pieces of equipment mm -hmm. uh, as far as uh, excavators and things like that. But those are the two most active areas that we uh, see right now. Now, why do you think there's so much activity in the real estate? I, I imagine that's that's commercial real estate or, or a combination of both commercial and residential. Yes. Um, all of it's commercial, whether it's a single-family residence on up to, like I said, apartment buildings, um, anything – that is not considered owner occupied falls underneath mm. commercial. Mm -hmm. So we uh, we see a lot of what's called fix and flips, and then buy and holds where you uh, actually rent it out and cash flow it. So we see both of those in in the commercial real estate industry right now. How does franchising um, financing? How does it stack up in terms of demand these days? So obviously. There are certain industries that are in more demand than others, uh, but franchising, people that are looking to find, uh, to, re to receive funding 
to finance a franchise. How does that stack up in terms of demand these days? Yeah, we don't really see a huge demand for that. It's a very niche or unique area for, for people. Um, and it's not just because of the, the financing for it, but it's also there's a lot to owning a franchise. So a lot of people right now, um, especially with how easy it is to go into commercial real estate, are I've seen the shift more to that than the actual franchising. We still do it. Uh, it's still demand for it, but it's not as high of a demand as some of the other areas. Okay. All right. You know, the reason I ask is because you find that so many people, as a result of the great resignation you, that you hear about, uh, I know that there are a lot of individuals that are pursuing their own businesses, and, and part of that pursuit is uh, is buying franchises. So I, I got to imagine that some of these folks out there either have the money to buy a franchise or would be looking for funding. But I'm surprised that's not the case. But I'm not surprised that real estate is the, the, the area that you're busiest in. But the lending, I know lending has had its, its changes uh, as a result of, of, of COVID. What lending changes uh, or opportunities have become available as a result of COVID? Yeah, there's been the changes was when COVID really first came about and took shape, a lot of funding shut down uh, because the, the lenders were trying to figure out how they were going to um, adjust to it. And then once they started opening back up, they become a little more restrictive. Um, really? Before, yeah, before COVID, they, they would give to funding for if you had, you know, lesser than desirable personal credit to the business owners. And um, they've, they've kind of locked down on number one, the personal credit, what it needs to be, and number two, what businesses they'll lend to, how much. Uh, so it's they they became more stringent with their guidelines. Um, that being said, it also created more opportunities with certain businesses and especially startups, um, which constitutes anything under two years with the SBA. Um, mm -hmm. And we only work with preferred SBA lenders, uh, which means they've been doing – SBA for five years minimum, and they actually get to underwrite their loans in-house. So it, whenever you hear the horror stories about SBA taking six, nine months to close, if you work with a preferred SBA lender, they're closing in three to six weeks. Um, so obviously it's a lot quicker. They have some different opportunities when it comes to their funding, such as, again, with commercial real estate, um, there's a couple of them that do 100% funding. Uh, so yeah, it's those are the opportunities that it has created is really for startups and for businesses that have been in business more than two years on the commercial real estate side. I would imagine that lending uh, post-COVID for startups must be a little bit more fluid, a little bit more, uh, let's say, liberal as opposed to super conservative to prior to COVID um, because of the fact that there are a lot of startups that that um, that have now begun to test the waters of of the marketplace, but but there I know there's challenges. So if I have uh, a listener that is concerned about finding funding, they're looking at a commercial piece or they're looking at uh, some equipment. What are the still what are still the challenges that a business can face when they're pursuing financing? When pursuing financing, they can face uh, credit issues, first of all. Right. But one thing, one thing you need to know is exactly what you're pursuing. Um, mm. You have to understand uh, the market that you're in, and then you have to also understand your credit. Your credit. Credit is, 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 is the one thing that drives any financial pursuit. Um, the time in business. Uh, the amount of time you've been doing that particular business, all of those things go into pursuing financing. Yeah, one of the things that my first guest on the show spoke about, James uh, D. White, uh, who has been a high-level CEO, again, the former founder, former CEO of Jamba Juice and a bunch of different industries, one of the things that he mentioned that has a lot to do with the success of anything you attempt 
from a business standpoint. He said, how well do you know your craft? How well do you know your industry? How well do you know where you're going and what it looks like when it's all said and done? He says, that's where a lot of companies and leadership fail. They don't know what the end result looks like. They don't have enough time in the researching of what they're doing. And that's exactly what you just said. One of the challenges, if you don't know what you're getting into, if you don't know your industry, if you haven't done your homework, uh, chances are, number one, if your financing will fall through. But even if you get the financing, you're probably on track to fail anyway. So I appreciate you bringing that up because that's an important point. But I'd like to hear some tips that you guys can share that an applicant can can can, can embrace so that their chances of being approved uh, uh, can improve by these little tips. Yeah, so the the biggest one that we share with all of our potential clients and clients once we brought them on is be completely transparent with us. Mm-hmm. No matter what funding you're looking for, when we send over the documents that we need and the application to us, since we're your broker, Send it all and be completely transparent. Let us know if you have anything on your background or anything on your credit. Um, and especially, especially for example, just as a quick example, if you're looking for equipment funding, but yet you have, you know, repos on your credit, that's going to be a very hard thing to get funding for you because obviously you've already shown that personally you're not a you know, responsible borrower as you couldn't make payments on your vehicle. So what makes a lender, you know, feels comfortable or secure thinking that as a business, you're going to be able to make payments on the equipment that they lend to you. So it's things like that, because the more transparent you are with your broker or us in the beginning, then the more helpful we can be and let you know and set your expectations properly and know which lenders to go to. Because in that example with the equipment funding, that doesn't mean that we can't get you funded. It just means that instead of a what's called an AB paper, we're going to have to go to a CD lender, which right. means not great credit. So, yeah, you might have a little higher interest rate or payment, but we can still get it done. But, again, transparency is the key to being able for us to get you approved and improve the chances of you getting improved so that you're not getting, you know, a denial because you didn't share everything with us up front and we sent you to an AB lender, but you don't qualify for it. So Tran- that's the, the biggest tip. Transparency is important. In our last 30 seconds, what makes JRF Financial different in the last 30 seconds? Yes. Uh, again, it's the fact that we are a faith-based company. And the big thing is, as a brokerage firm, we do not charge any upfront fees, deposits, mm-hmm. or even when we get a letter of intent for our clients. We truly get paid by performance at closing. So if for some reason we cannot close or get funding for our clients, there's no out-of-pocket cost for them. Well, Justin and Eric, I appreciate the both of you being on the show today. We have all your information up at our show site. Anyway, thank you for being a supporter and a sponsor of of this show. And the best of luck. And we're going to hear from you guys again next month with another tip. That's part of being a sponsor of the show. So thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, that wraps up another fantastic week of Thrive-Minded content with three outstanding individuals sharing with us the wisdom on how to operate at a high level if you are pursuing business success. We're going to be back next week. See you till then. Keep thriving.